Welcome to another episode of the West Coast Offensive, a sports show where we pay attention to sports so you don't have to. I am Kyle Dewhurst, joined by Drew Ager. This week we have seen a lot of historic events happen, not just in the sports world, but historic for the world as a whole. Drew, break that down for us. Yeah, so I... If you're a follower of the podcast, you know that, uh, you know, I spent some time after college teaching high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Kenosha, uh, just so people know, is, uh, you know, right there. It is not a distant suburb. It is just, uh, you know, part of that city, part of of, of that culture. And the Milwaukee Bucks team are... Uh, uh, a team that have uh, a guard, Sterling Brown, who a couple of years ago suffered at the hands of police brutality and is currently still engaged with uh, a lawsuit. One of the officers involved, I believe, has already been dismissed, but the lawsuit with the city is is ongoing. The Milwaukee Bucks have been a keen observer, uh, keen activist in uh, racial issues, specifically in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but also nationally. The, the uh, uh, Milwaukee Bucks have been so involved within their community, whether it comes to protests, demonstrations, speaking out against racial injustice, uh, supporting their community through activism and through donations, uh, through monetary support, um, and through moral support. It's been a very proud moment for me to be a supporter of this team and a Milwaukee Bucks fan. And Look, I'll I'll be the first to, uh, to say too. I mean, they they were up three one in the series versus the Magic. Them, you know, potentially forfeiting a game is not them, you know, throwing away the season or, I mean, probably even losing that that uh, first round. But that's not the sacrifice that the players made. The monetary sacrifice that these players made when it comes to sponsorships, when it comes to potentially angered fan bases, when it comes to potentially not finishing the playoffs, uh, which again, could potentially undercut the entire uh, Players Association's uh, agreement with the NBA. Uh, so there's, there's so many different factors within this that their willingness to, to stand up uh, and to say, we cannot continue under the current circumstances, I thought was so unbelievably pow- uh, uh, powerful, uh, moving, um, and incredible thing to witness during a time where we have fires, we have hurricanes, we have a pandemic um, amidst the racial inequities within our current state and country. And so I think that between all of that, it was really cool to see other NBA teams, WNBA teams, a lot of Major League Baseball teams in that same way uh, step up stand with all of us and say that this is something that affects all of us. There were a lot of comments I saw that said, why are these athletes doing this? This has nothing to do uh, with racial injustice. This is a game. These are athletes. Racial injustice, police brutality, systemic racism, a police system that has been inherently corrupt from the top down in its in its originality founding, uh, this is something that affects each and every one of us, right? And until we start to, to recognize that uh, we all have, have a stake in this, whether you're an athlete, a celebrity, uh, a regular citizen, it, it doesn't matter. This is something that affects all of us until we all start to, to be aware that these are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family members that are being shot and killed in the streets. Uh, it is not going to ever stop. It was interesting uh, for 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 me in in the spot because as proud as I was to be a, a Milwaukee Bucks fan, I was kind of that ashamed to be a San Diego Padres fan. Um, not only by our our our, our fan base um, that hosted some just ridiculous stuff online, uh, but 
when the Seattle Mariners said that they were not going to play on Wednesday, the uh, 26th, the Padres accepted the decision and they said, we, we support their players' decision, but they didn't say we were also, you know, not playing. Um, and I thought they missed a real opportunity. Um, and I know that uh, teams right now, a lot of teams do not, a, a lot of you know, politicians who don't, don't want to, um, you know, necessarily take strong stances on things. Uh, uh, I can't think of, of, you know, anything worth taking a stronger stance on than uh, racial inequity in the United States of America. So very proud of uh, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, very proud of the NBA. Um, I'm curious to see what this decision leads to uh, going forward in the rest of uh, the playoffs, uh, which have been set to resume on Saturday, but there's still a number of uh, items on the docket for negotiations as far as um, uh, social justice messaging, uh, as far as uh, a media coverage, uh, what the intent of, of the bubble is, and, uh, and what we can do to uh, create change that we want to see in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just want to say that was very well put, and I agree with a lot of what you uh, said. I mean, we talked about it in our first episode, you know, these athletes are celebrities and they are icons. They're more than just playing a game now. It is, they are inherently influencers on our society as a whole. So, yeah, I think, and the financial risk, um, like you said, is paramount. And for them to do that, it, it is a big thing. And it was awesome to see them do that. And I think it is a good change. And it's going to take stuff like this that is hard to do. And that is going to ruffle some people's feathers, but it's it's what we need what needs to be done and hopefully stuff pause or hopefully positive change does come from this and today right before we started recording uh the nba and the nba players association issued a joint statement uh, have you seen this i i haven't seen i uh, seen cool. this in the shed i'm just gonna there's like three there's like three bullet points that are the main thing um First one, they're saying that the NBA and its players have agreed to immediately establish a social justice coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors. And that's all going to be focused on um, increasing access to voting, promoting civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. Super cool. Yeah, that was one of the caveats I saw that the players specifically requested mm-hmm. for was that they were going to turn uh, all of their arenas into uh, 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 voting places. Uh, well, that's that's statement number two. Oh, yeah. Statement yeah. number two is in every city where the league franchise owns and controls arena property, team governors will continue to work with election officials to convert the facility into a voting location for the 2020 general election. And then if they aren't able to turn it in because like a deadline has passed, they're mm-hmm. going to still work with those governing officials uh, on what they can do to help that process and make it safe for everyone to vote during this election due to the pandemic, due to all the other issues happening with this election. Um, yeah, I thought that statement was super cool. And it's yeah, it's well, huge for an uh, organization as big as the NBA to take a stance on voting. Um, especially with this current climate, that's it, it's super cool. I am on board with it, and I really hope it gets done. What I love about that is that, um, I, I with the first point of a social justice, uh, a, a co a coalition, 
I think that, that that's awesome. Having statements on the backs of jerseys or, uh, you know, NBA coaches wearing, um, you know, coaches for anti, uh, 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 or wearing coaches against racism garb. I think that that's all, all great, but turning your arena into a polling station is tangible change that uh, can be seen, can be felt, uh, that hopefully will um, inspire greater change across the board. Um, I think it is awesome that that, that we start uh, with you know um, advocacy and and education um, and conversation and discussion, but uh, being able to uh, insist and demand and then receive uh, real tangible. Uh, uh, good work being done, I think is something that was necessary, at least in, in my mind, for the NBA playoffs to continue, given uh, a lot of the statements that we have heard from NBA players. Yeah, and then the last uh, one, which I forgot to, read, uh, forgot to read, is saying that you know the league is going to work with players and network partners to create and include advertising spots in each playoff game. Uh, dedicated to promoting greater civic engagement in national and local elections and raising awareness around voter access and opportunity. So as a whole, they're kind of taking the stance of voting, um, which is super cool. And I think, like you said, it's a tangible way for change. It's it's something that is actively, it's changing, it's helping people. Well, and yeah. what's crazy to me is that this is, even though all they're doing is giving people access and information in order to vote, there's still people that are going to see see this as uh, something majorly upsetting, and they're going to say, you know, I don't want any politics in my sports or what. And I just think it's so crazy that people get offended at you know statements like "Don't be a racist." Um, that that shouldn't be that controversial of a statement. Acknowledging that Black Lives Matter, not not even that like. <laughs> Black lives should be uh, 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 valued at a high degree. We're just saying matters. You can't even acknowledge that black lives matter. Um, and I think yeah. that that's a, a really uh, scary thing about the world that we're in right now. Yeah, it definitely is. And it, it even though like, yeah, sports can be an escape. And I, I you know, I understand, I can understand people saying they don't want that, you know, politics in their sports. I get it. Like, your sports are a way to escape, but the world's at a point where we can't keep it separate right now. And you see these players come out with statements and with stories of their interactions with police, negative interactions with police, and you know they're heartbroken. They're some are in tears, telling stories or just talking about things that have happened. It's it this is beyond sports now, and these players have this platform and they're using it to to prove a point and to make or to share the message which is simply that hey there is inequality going on can we address it that's all it is at the core um and we'll see i hope you know i'm i think it's positive and i'm excited i, I look forward to see where it goes it should be an interesting couple of months <laughs> yeah and especially given the immediate reactions that the two los angeles nba teams uh, uh specifically lebron james and Kawhi leonard with them reportedly um, wanting to end the entire playoff run with the other uh, teams yeah. that are still in the, uh, the playoff bubble wanting to to uh, continue. I think it says a lot about 
who these players are as uh, people. I think it says a lot about uh, uh, their their role uh, within society, not just as uh, a, 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 a celebrity, but as someone actively working to make this world a better place. Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, insane that people like Laura Ingram tell LeBron to shut up and dribble when he has done so much for uh, for his family, for his friends, for the city of Cleveland, uh, for young children getting a quality education. It, it doesn't make sense why if, you know, we're, these players make so much money and if they're making so much money and they have so much influence and they're only supposed to play, it's such a huge opportunity missed. Yeah. And as long, you know, they're using this, their platform for equality, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, well, and it, the, it's not a threat to, it's not a threat to anyone. No one's saying that. And people can still, yeah. I mean, people are still harping on Colin Kaepernick now. I I want people on, you know, all sides to recognize the tremendous sacrifice that Colin Ka- Kaepernick gave, gave up because of the stance that he took and because of his unwillingness to change that stance. He sacrificed millions upon millions of dollars in future contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, his willingness um, to stand up for that. And then also people, you know, saying, well, you know, why don't you donate money? You're, you're a millionaire and stuff. And he, and he has, I mean, it's like people that just, you know, spout nonsense without actually uh, uh, researching stuff, but he has donated millions of dollars and it's just insane. And the fact that people are so offended when uh, he kneels during the, the anthem, which, just so everybody knows, it's not a violation of, of, of the flag, flag code. It says you should stand. Um, doesn't say unequivocally that you cannot. However, it does say that you cannot have your flag flying from the back of your car. It says that you're not supposed to have a 4th of July sale, a paper plate with red, white, and blue on it, a blue Lives Matter flag that is changing the original flag. Like All, all of that stuff actually is a violation of, of, of the flag code, but that's not the discussion that people on the right want to have. And maybe I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the interesting thing is the day that the Bucks um, just uh, forfeited and boycotted that game, it was four years to the day that Kaepernick first kneeled, which is just crazy to think about that four years ago, that was the big thing. And we're still having this conversation. It's just so much has been, so much progress has been made, but not enough, not nearly enough. Cause we're still having the same conversation and, here we are. And I just thought that was absolutely insane that that was four years ago that he kneeled. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you could probably tell, a lot of passion here. <laughs> but we're going to be seeing where this goes in the future. I think both of us agree that this is positive, uh, meaningful change uh, that can come from uh, the NBA's decision and what they plan to do. So there's that. And hopefully it continues to move forward. Let's actually start talking about some sports. Oh, yeah, we do that here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, Drew, Portland did not do well like I thought they would. <laughs> yeah, so just so everybody knows, and I want to be – I mean, Oh, I'll say this. Portland was going to win in six. Yeah. I, I do want to give Kyle – I mean, you, you don't re- really start fo- following the, the, the NBA very seriously until uh, this year. Um, but, yeah, when he texted me that <laughs> hey. he did port, uh, port, Port, uh, Portland and six. I was, 
I was stunned. I had Lakers in six. Also, I was not the only one that saying that Portland was going to win this series. <laughs> Charles Barkley. Okay, all right. Said that yeah. they were going to sweep the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, but the second Charles Barkley guarantees a sweep for the Lakers for the Blazers, it means it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, here's the thing. I thought their offense was enough to keep up. Um, knowing that Portland did not have a great defense, and it was literally on Dame Lillard to keep them in the game for most of the uh, games in the bubble. If he got shut down, Lakers were going to win it, and that's what happened. Watching the games, uh, specifically whenever Alex Caruso was following Dame, Dame disappeared most of the time. And I think the Lakers figured him out, and the Blazers got exposed. They just didn't – they weren't deep enough – they didn't have enough talent. It is what it is. Well, and that's the, I mean, the whole point of a seven game series, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that everybody thought that Dame was capable, which he, he did in, in, in a, a game, game, game one, but that, that Dame was single handedly talented enough to bring home, uh, you know, one or two games. Uh, and when that, mm-hmm. you know, the first round used to be a five game series, I mean, it, maybe they could, you know, uh, be, be uh, a real, uh, sneaky there but ultimately they just they they have a good interior defense um uh when his on white sides out there uh but beyond that there's just not a whole lot as much as i i love dame and i think that he's a superstar he's somewhat of a defensive liability on uh the court as well uh even though the lakers were missing a ton of guard depth i uh, they were I, I I was still not not super worried after game 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 uh, one just because they shot historically bad from three like I mean it was like fifty percent or something yeah like yeah. it was it was such a terrible shooting performance that I think you could take that two ways and thinking well they're they're just not going to be a good playoff uh, performer but I'm mean, thinking that you know Danny Green KCP Caruso we're going to continue to miss shots like that I thought was just not going to happen and they only ended up losing that first game by a little bit with with, without making any shots uh with uh uh, lebron clearly not trying to take the game over offensively but having 20 assists and just trying to uh, uh, distribute and i think you could see that was still a great game one strategy to have because they all got their looks i felt like they got a lot of their their nerves shaken the lakers haven't played a a meaningful game up to that point really since game one or two or three whenever they ended up playing the Clippers inside the bubble while the Blazers have had, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, (laughs) right. Yeah. Playoff games. Every Uh, game they had to win. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that, that there was a bit of an overreaction after game one, uh, based on all of those different things going on. I think with the Lakers going forward, Anthony Davis is still, a guy that I, I I absolutely love. I don't think that his game matches super well with uh, uh, LeBron's game. And while he's had a couple good fourth quarters uh, late, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to count on him late in games against the Clippers, uh, against teams uh, like the uh, 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 Nuggets or Jazz or Houston or uh, OKC, how he's able to really be uh, 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 utilized late in games in those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with saying that he, it doesn't fit well with LeBron's game as well. You know, when Durant went to Golden State, that one kind of made a lot more sense. He fit in fairly well there. Um, this one just seems a little forced. It seems they're chasing a championship and they just brought in a superstar that was looking to move. Um, 
But hey, you know what? They're number one seed and they're moving most likely moving on to the semifinals. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's going to be interesting here here too, like because. Uh, I mean, I, I think most people had the Clippers uh, going on. I think that, uh, I mean, AD is a far superior number two than Paul George is. I, I don't think many people would disagree with that. But Paul George has also been an inconsistent playoff player. He calls himself Playoff Paul. Uh, but, I mean, it's a really, you know, back and forth. He'll have a great game and then disappear for two, you know. Um, and he's saying right now how much anxiety and depression he has being inside the bubble. One, from just the isolation, but then also from everything else that's going on within the country and then still trying to focus on on a basketball. So, I mean, this bubble is having a major effect. And the way that the Mavericks have competed so well against the, the uh, uh, Clippers, both of those teams are just so talented uh i think that they're going to be um uh at a disadvantage the uh, the uh, lakers right now have an opportunity to rest up have an opportunity to watch tape have an opportunity uh to get healthy before uh they're playing a lot of these other teams that are going to five six seven game series right so mm-hmm. uh it's a big advantage for them and 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 right now the the uh clippers have have not been playing nearly as well as i think people uh anticipated them uh, playing once they got into the bubble. I think most people were saying they were going to be able to uh, to flip a switch. And they've certainly uh, uh, been been good, been great, but they have not been the uh, dominant uh, team that I think people expected us to see in these playoffs. A uh, lot of that does have to do with how good Luka Doncic is too. Yeah. Yeah, so right now Clippers lead 3-2 in their series. You think Dallas ties it up? So, so far those games have gone back and forth every game after a dramatic finishing in game four where you know yes. Luca hits a, a 30 footer to win and just I mean also I have to yeah. say what are the Clippers doing there in the sense like I understand that as part of their defensive scheme they switch everything and with the defensive personnel they have they are normally able to make that happen mm-hmm. what is Kawhi Leonard doing now like everybody watching that game knows that Luka Doncic is taking that shot he was on fire from 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 that point. He is their superstar. He, they have to take uh, like like a shot out there. He's he's taking it and he switches off and he gives the defensive responsibilities to Reggie Jackson. I mean, <laughs> it's it's just this is the one thing that like bugs me about Kawhi. And I thought that he um I thought that he proved me me wrong with these things last year when he was in in Toronto when he really wanted the spotlight, uh, and especially going to uh, LA then. And 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 maybe I'm being too harsh, and maybe that was you know the correct ba- uh, bas- basketball play. All I'm saying is that if I am Kawhi Leonard and I am known as you know one of the best defensive players in the entire NBA, I am not switching off Luka Doncic with three seconds left in in that basketball game. So. No. Um, uh, looking forward, I still think Clippers probably win win that win that series. Uh, Clippers absolutely annihilated Dallas in Game Five. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Kristaps Porzingis is able to come back, be healthy, and be effective. Because if, if he is, um, I mean, I could easily see Dallas winning Game Six. Uh, but at this point, it's been so back and forth uh, with the injury to Porzingis. I think uh, Clippers still find a way uh, t- uh, to pull that out and. That's been uh, one of the really interesting, I think, differences between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference is just that these 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 Western Conference series have been so compelling to watch, uh, so 
many interesting games, so many deep series. Uh, even Lakers uh, Trailblazers was an entertaining series, even if it you know only went went five games. Yeah. Yeah, looking at the the West, it's all close minus LA, Portland. But when you look at the East, I mean, three of those series went four and zero. Miami went four and zero. Boston, Toronto, both four and zero. Three teams swept. Yeah, well, and the other team, and then Milwaukee's up three to one. So yeah, which is funny that yeah, yeah is... Milwaukee was the team that. that yeah, had who would have put that right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think they they were in the same boat where um, they hadn't had really uh competitive games up to that that point they were even saying in in the three not regular season games but the three bubble games they had before the playoffs started that they were not playing exceptionally well they they were not shooting well uh their defense has really stepped up a lot of shots had started to fall chris middleton uh, was able to get some of his form form back so uh it being the first series um and knowing that and trying to get different players uh, involved their their bench has has still been a, a phenomenal so i'm not super worried about the bucks i uh, i was surprised that the sixers were not able to pull out a, a game a single game that is very um, i didn't necessarily expect them 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 to win um but even without ben simmons um i expected something i think that I don't think that their coach that just got fired, Brett Brown, is, uh, you know, an NBA Finals winning coach necessarily. I also think that when you have a roster that talented and is playing, for lack of a better word, that that stupidly, um, <laughs> I, I mean, some of it definitely has to fall on him. They, they I mean, obviously they, they didn't have uh, Ben Simmons, but, but they've had Ben Simmons, a superstar there for a couple of years, and they can't get him to shoot a single jump shot, right? Uh, they have Joel Embiid, who doesn't, he can't decide what type of player he wants to be. And I think that that is um, a frustrating thing. He could be an absolute monster and terrorize people down, 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 uh, down, down, down low. He was getting defensively stopped on multiple occasions by six, eight Daniel Tice. Like it just, and in part, part of it, I think is being out of shape. I think part, part of of it is not having the same uh, desire, but uh, I think Sixers are going to have to break that up soon. Uh, I was surprised that the Heat swept the Pacers. I expected the Heat to win. I mean, I was not surprised by that whatsoever. I thought Indiana had enough talent uh, and enough chemistry to, you know, pull out a game or two. Um, as a Bucks fan, it, it does make me nervous that the Heat swept the Pacers. The Heat have notoriously played the Bucks even the past couple of years extremely well. Uh, Jimmy Butler's a great uh, defender. They have great defenders up and down that uh, a lineup. And um, as much as I I love love the Bucks and I still expect them to be able to uh, uh, advance to uh, the finals. Uh, th- I, I don't want to see the heat. Uh, I would rather, well, and, and frankly, I don't want to see Boston and I don't really want to see Toronto either, but I would, I would rather, uh, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it, it will be an interesting second round. Yeah, it definitely will. It was surprising seeing all four of those teams. I mean, looking at, um, Houston and OKC right now, they're tied two two on paper for me. I saw Houston kind of as a lock, but watching kind of their games, this is a way closer series than I think some might have expected. Um, what do you see there? 
Yeah, well, I think part of that has to just do with the injury to Russell Westbrook. It's definitely, you know, affected what Houston's been able to do uh, offensively and then defensively too. For Russell, Wilk, uh, I'm sorry, for uh, uh, Russell Westbrook being a six-three point guard, he's an exceptional defender and still allows them to switch pretty much everything. So um, that that definitely throws a wrench in into things. But I was also a player or a person who, at, at the beginning of of this season, I didn't know how much Chris Paul had left in the tank and watching what he's done with this young, uh, young for the most part, OKC team has been phenomenal. Uh, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I still think uh, without a doubt, James Harden is the best player on that court. If Russell Westbrook was, was healthy, he would probably be that number two best player on that entire court. But I think when you start to look at the rest of their lineup, there's a significant drop off, a ton of players that, that I like, but they don't necessarily have, um, uh, a ton of variety in their skill set. Uh, it's a lot of three and D players, uh, and also Mike D'Antoni isn't a, a coach that makes a ton of adjustments. They they shoot threes. That's what what they do. They they might be five for thirty five like they were the other night. That's a slight exaggeration, but I uh, uh, but their <laughs> their their game plan is going to be to keep shooting threes until they start to fall down. Um, OKC, I think it's interesting because they just complement their their uh uh each other's skill sets uh so well shay gilgis uh, uh uh alexander for being a young player has been so calm and collected in these playoffs and that's been a huge uh boost for them over well um i think houston finds a way to pull this series out uh and i think that both of these uh teams are going to be so exhausted by the series that it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh going forward but um i just think james harden is too talented of of a player to uh not advance um but yeah it's going to be uh all all of of uh those those a series i think defense um and i mean this is true about the playoffs in uh general whether we're talking about the nba or the the uh, nfl defense becomes so much more critical in the in the playoffs and i mean what you're seeing right 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 now are teams like you know uh a uh, uh, Utah um, and Boston and, and Toronto and, and Milwaukee teams that are playing, you know, exceptional defense. Um, and that's been what they've been able to rely on, you know, when the shots aren't falling. Uh, and that's, you know, something that, that, that Houston, I think really needs to, to get going for him. Yep. It's the old adage defense wins championships, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's turn our eyes to the NFL now, specifically Let's talk about Cam Newton. Let's start there. Yeah, so the reports out of Patriots camp. Um, so what they've said is that Cam Newton hasn't, uh, you know, blown people away, but that Jared Stidham has, you know, blown people away even less. Um, I think it was crazy hearing Patriot fans talk about how, you know, we're not going to miss Tom Brady. We have Jared Stidham. He's been with the system and he, he uh, knows it. I mean, he was, you know, a not a high pick for a reason. I have no idea how much Cam has left in this tank, but I also don't think the Patriots are trying to win that hard this year anyways. So uh, I think ultimately Cam's going to be that, that a starter. I think that the notion of Cam and Jared Stidham splitting time is ridiculous. I think this is one of those things that, that the media runs with a headline. You, you asked, I mean, they, they asked a question. They asked Bill Belichick if he would consider having two quarterbacks. And he said, sure, we'll consider it. And then all these headlines saying, Bill Belichick, 
he might have two quarterbacks and it's just uh, absolutely like, yeah. ridiculous he's <laughs> having so much fun with uh, the media right now and um yeah, yeah. well that's that's arguably why the patriots went on this dynasty run with brady it's belichick doesn't care anything about the media it, it, he's he's doing his own thing so you're gonna yeah you can frame whatever he says and whatever like he doesn't care he's he's working and you know what? i think newton is gonna be back to mvp form i think he has an uphill battle with so many patriots opting out of this season notable um players opting out but i think what we see with him i think he's back i think with I, I just can't imagine with Cam Newton and Belichick together. So I not do be, not. I'm not gonna say great, but I. I well, you said he was gonna be back to MVP form. So. I, I well <laughs> no, but <laughs> well I think he is. I think I think Belichick, and maybe it's not gonna be this year. Uh, I just can't imagine that those two together don't make sparks i i am hopeful that it is really exciting and entertaining but what i think is interesting is that most of josh mcdaniel's play calling has been really uh structured design that is how he and brady have succeeded uh throughout the years that's not how cam newton succeeds he succeeds with with skill and running and being mobile um and uh elusive and creating different things when they fall apart. So I think that's going to be fascinating. Uh, I think they could turn into a power run team, uh, which I, I would actually like to see as well. Um, I'm very skeptical about how well Cam's going to do in this offense, partly just because their offensive line is so-so. Um, I mean, you know, they have Sanu, they have Edelman. They just don't have the offensive personnel that I think are really going to uh, set Cam up for a lot of success. Um, uh, I do think, it, and this is, you know, a Colin Cowherd her, her thing too. Uh, I, I think the Patriots, um, they just had so many players, so many quality players opt out. I don't necessarily think that they're tanking this year, but I don't think that they're actively trying to uh, win a Super Bowl this year. Um, seeing three potential, you know, lock high pick quarterbacks um, in uh, next year's draft, um, knowing that there's a lot of teams that have drafted quarterbacks recently that aren't going to be drafting quarterbacks. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for them to be able to uh, potentially make a big splash next off season. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah, hope I that he does. Else. Yeah, I have nothing else. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I I do hope that that, that Cam's great because Cam Newton returning to MVP form is as much as I hate the Patriots and I you know would love for them to go 0 and 16 this year. Cam Newton is good for the NFL. Uh, I enjoy watching Cam play. Right, so yeah. um, uh, I think him uh, going there is super fascinating. I'm much more interested to see the Patriots what they do without Brady next year once they get into a reasonable cap sit, uh, situation, once they draft a new uh, a quarterback and kind of uh, potentially at that point be outside of the pandemic and see really where they're at. I think that's one of the reasons I'm also uh, skeptical about Cam being great Th this mm -hmm. year is because of the pandemic. He He's not going to have the same rapport with a yeah. completely new roster and new receivers that 
a lot of other teams will have. A guy like Aaron Rodgers is going to be in a much better set who's thrown to these same receivers for the past couple of years uh, than a Tom Brady or a Cam Newton or a Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that's just uh, uh, based on time. Even a guy like Joe Burrow, a rookie, I just – I, I, I do not think it's in his best interest to start right away, right? Um, yeah, and so I think – We agree on that. Yeah, so, and, and especially with less preseason games too, right? So, so With what, none. <laughs> yeah, so what we're going to see that, that first week, uh, I think we're, we're going to see really sloppy football, specifically sloppy offensive play, um, offensive line play. So many play, penalties. Quarterback play, yeah, um, until we get into October. I mean, it's, it's just going to take that long for players to really get their footing, which also means I'm not putting a lot of stock into the win-loss record in September. I mean, once, hmm. once we, we, we get to about week five, week six, week seven, which I think in general happens a lot of times too, then we can start to see who are the actual good teams. But if a team, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I, a team could start 0-4 but still be super talented and then end up uh, running the table, right? Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's all, every year there's teams who start hot and then by week five, six, they falter out. Mm-hmm. It happens every year, you know? Um, and th- I think, yeah, this year – <laughs> we're gonna have four preseason games that are counted as regular season games, um, arguably. Yeah. So I do. Yeah. I I see him uh, starting though. And oh yeah, I I think this whole ruse of maybe Stidham starts is baloney. <laughs> like, I think you bring him in, and if you are impressed with him enough, you start him over Stidham, and you let stidham then come in later if he has to like if you want stidham to be your quarterback why would you start him this season let him sit behind cam and then if cam needs to be pulled then you throw stidham in and then people are way more going to be way more receptive of him at that point in my opinion yeah well and i think it's so did uh and we don't necessarily need to include this in um either but uh, the who's calling me? It's it's my mom. I'll call her back later. Um, there is a almost like a conspiracy theory out there too for why the Patriots even signed Cam in the first place. Uh, based on a couple things. So one, like I mean, they signed him for 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 the minimum, right? So there yeah. was speculation at first saying. Um, they were smart and they were just waiting until the price dropped because they knew it was going to, to drop. In my opinion, if they really wanted Cam Newton, if they thought that Cam was the difference between them being competitive and them being not competitive, if they thought he was so much better than Jared Stidham, hmm. I don't think that you risk him being a free agent for multiple weeks over a month. Um, until he was willing to accept uh, a non-guaranteed starting job and uh, a minimum salary. So I, I have a little question about that. And then also on the day that he was signed, um, and I would have to Google exactly what the Patriots did. There was some story that came out. They, they got picks taken away or they got in trouble about something. So the same day that like that story hit, was the day that they signed cam Hmm. and so a lot of people were just saying signing cam during this pandemic during this off season that instantly became the number one story and nobody was talking about the patriots getting in trouble right 
So I do remember. Was it? I. I'm interested now. Was it the, the filming, the practices? Did they finally? Is that the stuff that finally dropped down during that week? Um, I'm scrolling through stuff to try to find it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So it was July. 9th about um oh shit what did i god damn <laughs> um yeah so i would i mean i would have to search like exactly what what it was but yeah. there there are at least you know some media people that think that like that's the only reason why cam newton is on the team right now is because it i mean it was purely a pr stunt Hmm. I mean, yeah, it, <laughs> Patriots would be those type of people to do that. Oh yeah, totally. I think like they totally would somewhere. just, oh man, we're going to get bad press. Yeah. Mm, let's bring well, him in right now. And speaking of other uh, court, uh, quarterback battles, apparently, um, and especially I, you're a, a Raiders fan. Uh, Raiders gave uh, not, not, you know, a huge contract to Marcus uh, Mariota, but for a backup quarterback, they are they they are paying him. He is one yeah, of the are. the higher paid backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, coming off of his original rookie deal with the Tennessee Titans after he got replaced by Ryan Tannehill, uh, Marcus Mariota. I you you and I both thought he was brought in to help kind of you know push Carr, um, uh, yep. uh, establish the uh, note that look we still like you. You know you're our our starter to a Derek Carr, but. We need to see some improvement, especially because while he's been uh, a great statistical passer, um, uh, they did uh, a game on the Colin Cowherd show uh, at the Herd where, you know, they did a blind uh, resume. He has better stats the past couple, uh, a couple of years than, you know, Matt Stafford, than Matt Ryan, than uh, Philip oh, Rivers. Yeah. So, I mean, so he has those. Uh, on uh, paper, uh, he's uh, a numbers. great quarterback. Right. But does he, but he doesn't quite match uh, the personality uh, or scheme set of John Gruden in 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 a sense where um, it's been reported that that Derek you know um, not you know uh, uh, <laughs> a baby but um, <laughs> he's he's a quarterback that needs to feel supported um, yeah and say a hundred percent no he is a yes there are so many things about him when he gets rattled. He makes very bad choices. He changes plays at the line of scrimmage, which is you want your quarterback to do when um, reading the defense. But it's like when you're playing Madden and you're just like, no matter what, I need this player to have a lot of stats. Oh, yeah. So you just always throw to that player. Yeah. Or you're like, I always want to run this play. I always want to run the ball. And you just do it over and over, no matter what the outcome, because you're just kind of messing around. At least that's what I have done every now and then in Madden. <laughs> this That's what it seems. And then you purposely you're not purposely but things don't go right because you're trying too hard and you're rattled and you're not doing it he yeah. he has done that constantly kansas city knows how to rattle rattle him perfectly every year they have his number he just does not play well in kansas city especially or yeah. against kansas city it has always been like that unfortunately and it's he it all changed when he got injured when he got hit and he went down in 2016 on his MVP caliber season, when he finally read the, the Raiders got back to the playoffs for the first time in years, he goes down, breaks his leg. He has not been the same. He has gotten tremendously better, but he still, you can tell when he gets hit once, he's a slightly different. And the more he gets hit, 
it's even more so. He he looks like he's gets scared, and it's that really is unfortunate. That's absolutely what I was going to ask you to if you thought that that was uh, the predominant reason, because that's something that a lot of people have said too. That I, I, I oh, do yeah. think 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 people forget. It was him and Brady, and the fact that Brady had already went so so many. If if Derek Carr just continued his season and stayed healthy in 2016, he was the NFL MVP that 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 season. Um, I think a lot of times, whether it's Brady after his injury or you see Derek Carr, Carr now, one of the reasons they have such high completion percentages, one of the reasons they take so few sacks is it's this uh, a paranoia for for Derek Carr to throw the ball down the field in the way that John. Cruden wants that means you need to hang around the pocket uh means you might have to take it uh uh, i take a hit right um and so i think it's interesting the way that uh well i like Derek carr a lot and i think i i don't think the car is going to be the guy that's gonna you know lead you to the promised land but i certainly think that he could be um uh a very good component of it i just think that you would you would still Derek Carr is not going to win a Super Bowl with a bad defense, right? Um, Derek Carr is not going to win a Super Bowl with a horrid offensive line. I mean, he's he's yeah. he's he's going to need um, excess help there in order to overcome yeah. um, just some some of the deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's such like. I mean, this whole podcast at some point is going to turn into a Raider podcast every other every now and then because yeah, that's who I follow. Sorry, listeners, but I'm not going to shy away from it. Um, he is such a like interesting player because he i don't i'm pretty sure he leads the league in like fourth quarter comebacks in a specific time period up till now like i he has a lot of fourth quarter comebacks he statistically is great but for some reason it just not wins and a lot of it is the defense like the raiders defense have has been atrocious even when they had khalil mack uh, Khalil Mack was the only reason they stayed in a lot of games. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I really want him to be the one because I love it when players are drafted by a team and they stay with the team the whole time and they achieve success with that team. You know, I, I like that. And I, I like him as a person too. Um, but I just, yeah, this is we've talked about this last time. This is his year to prove it, or he's out. And I think the signing of Mariota is to push him, like you said. But I don't think we see Mariota this year. I don't think you do either. Um, uh, but I think it's reading, a... yeah. Things I've said is like people are they like it Mariota, and then at times he's not. He's kind of a backup. I've just heard so sense. far in uh, in camp, yeah, like whatever, you know, extra reasons they had for bringing in Mariota beyond the fact that they just wanted to have a quality backup. He has not impressed, which mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, that should give Carr more confidence uh, and more job security going forward. At the same time, I think Gruden has... Uh, he does Gruden does not have a short leash with the, the Davis family, but I think Gruden has um, increasingly less patience with Derek Carr just because of the type of player Derek Carr is, where I think Gruden really wants to be moving the ball further down uh, the field. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and which does not make Derek Carr a bad quarterback. It's just like they, they don't, Derek Carr's not a perfect uh, uh, system quarterback for John Gruden's system. No, they they're not a match made in heaven, but um, my brain just totally stopped thinking. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's not a perfect fit, but the thing with with Gruden is he's on a ten year contract. Mayock was a draft analyst before he took the GM job. They're both of those people. I mean, Gruden's is a spot he's looking long term. He's not looking to win in the next year to prove that he can keep his job. He has ten years to do it. I think now it's like seven. Uh, Mayock is always about drafting players and looking at looking in the future and seeing how they can get production. Yeah, I, I just they're not where Carr might want to win right now and like try to do everything in his power to win right now. Gruden and Mayock and the franchise as a whole knows to be a little more patient, and if that means moving on from Carr eventually and being okay with him right now. I think that's kind of where they're at, if that well, makes sense. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. And I think, like, this also shows, like, what we've seen. We've had so many good quarterbacks come out recently. Um, mm-hmm. e- I mean, even quarterbacks not drafted in the, in the first round. Even quarterbacks drafted extremely late in the first round, like uh, a. a Lamar Jackson, who people thought was going to be a project and not be ready to play for, you know, uh, a two or three years. Yeah.